Welcome to the QAV podcast. My name's Cameron Riley. If you're brand new, uh, welcome. This is an investing podcast. We normally talk about value investing, the kind of investing made famous by guys like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and Howard Marks, Benjamin Graham, etc. My mate Tony Kynaston in Sydney is a very successful value investor with 25 odd years of experience and he has a system uh, that he teaches me on this podcast about how to value stocks, how to determine their intrinsic value, figure out what to buy, what to pay for it, etc., etc. But today we have a terrific interview with, uh, I guess, a superstar in the Australian fintech investing circles at the moment, John Winters, CEO of Superhero, one of the latest entrants in the uh, online broking category, I guess. Uh, we've talked about him a bit on the show. We've talked about Superhero a bit recently. Uh, a number of our subscribers had questions, particularly relating to uh, how the stocks are owned if you acquire them through Superhero and what would happen if Superhero was to disappear overnight, what happens to the stocks. Um, and so we invited John on to have a chat. I, I think we mostly clarified our concerns. Uh, I have a, a couple of minor niggling issues still, but they're probably no big deal. Anyway, we'll throw to the interview. Uh, here's John Winters. Let me know what you think afterwards. G'day, John. G'day, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, question for you. Is it better if I, like, can you hear me fine or should I put my headphones in? Uh, you sound great. The only question will be whether or not there's any feedback coming from our voices, but at this stage, it sounds good. Yeah, no, you sound good too. Good. Well, I'm just waiting for Tony to show up. He should be here any moment now, but I will send him a text. How's uh, Sydney today? Sydney's good. Where, where are you guys based? Tony's in Sydney. I'm in Brisbane, the uh, COVID-free state where we come and go freely and do whatever we please. Oh, here he is. Well, well, Sydney's about the same though. Yeah, I know. You're getting back on track down there, I see. Yeah. Uh, here's the man who just lost me $5. Welcome to the show, Tony. I put five bucks on one of Tony's horses that was racing down in Melbourne today and it came last, oh, last. No. Do you get something for that? No, I think I uh, had it to win. Yeah. <laughs> He's teaching me how to bet. Tony owns a few racehorses and he's teaching me how to bet on the ponies. This was my first experience. Luckily, his share investing track record is better than his horses. Oh, hey, Tony, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. You can shut up. <laughs> <laughs> one horse. That's the first time you've had a bet on one of my horses. And it came last. Yeah. Not well, even like fourth or fifth. Last. Well, you're the common denominator on that one. The curse yeah, the Cameron, Cameron. curse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll get used to it. They they lose more often than they win. That's for sure. Oh, this sounds like a shitty bloody hobby. Uh, <laughs> All right, John. Welcome, John. Thanks for coming on and chatting. And uh, congratulations. Let's start with that. Congratulations on uh, the successful launch of Superhero. What's it been like the last couple of weeks? Kind of crazy times for you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind. We um, we set a target of of getting to ten thousand customers by the end of twelve months, and did it at the end of three weeks. So, so does that mean uh, you you sort of suck at forecasting? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess so. You were sandbagging, sandbagging the investors. Oh no, nah, it's not going to go that good. Just keeping up our sleeves a little bit. We used yeah, to do that back yeah. in the day. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's great. Congratulations. So before we get into Superhero, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your background? I sort of checked you out on LinkedIn today. It looks like you've been in the broking biz for quite a while. Yeah. I, becoming a stockbroker was sort of my, my childhood dream, you know, growing up. That's, uh, you know, I sort of... Uh, wanted to, to get into to financial services. Um, did, you, did you watch Wall Street? Is that what inspired you? I think, I think there was probably a little bit of that, yeah. Um, I actually mentioned that in a, in a job interview once and they said, oh, you probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> did you want to, for all the right reasons. Or did you want to be reasons. Bud Fox or Gordon Gecko? That's the question. The good yeah. guy or the bad guy? Or the yeah. bad guy who becomes a good guy? I'm not sure what Bud is. 
No, certainly the good guy. You know, I think you know. I I, I called the 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 he was the general manager at the time. He's the co CEO now of Shore and Partners. I called him every day for three months until I think he felt sorry for me and gave me a job. Um, <laughs> and that's really where my my career sort of kicked off. Um, fast forward to the end, though. You know, I I I I do agree that you know a lot of the industry is plagued with conflicted remuneration and and you know it's been a it's been a major piece of of starting superhero that we can charge people you know as low as five dollars to trade um where you know and in in many circumstances you can be charged thousands for the same thing Mm. so when you when you uh, knocked on the door of shore uh stockbroking every day did you take along a a gift on the guy's birthday like bud fox did in wall street Box of cigars. Box of cigars. I should should have. Maybe I would have gotten the job quicker. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's talk about uh, where the idea for Superhero came from, John. Was it your idea or somebody else's? Yeah, so it it was mine and it was really really sort of put together over my career. So I was in, in, you know, broking for about 15 years and, and... really struggled with how antiquated so many of the processes were in the industry. And, you know, I was, I was involved with the listing of, of zip. Um, that's how, you know, that's how we, we've been able to raise capital from, from some of the founders and, and saw the rise of, you know, this buy now pay later space, which has almost, it's almost led the sort of the rise of the neo banks as well. And they're doing real time ID verification. They're doing real time issuing of credit at the checkout. And I'm sending a paper, eight page paper form to the staff of these sorts of companies saying, yeah, here, you want to trade shares. Here's, here's the form. And then go down to the chemist and get them to sign a photocopy of your driver's license. And then post that you can't take it to the office, even though in the same city, but post that to the office. Two days later, we'll set up an account, and a couple of days after that, maybe we can place a trade for you. And they're sort of looking at the watch, going, "No, but I want to get a trade on before the market closes today." And um, you know, there, there was there was no way to do that. So it was really, how do we take this old world industry and bring it into the new world of technology? And whilst we have seen, you know, the rise of Comsec, and you know that they they are the biggest, and they've always been the biggest, and you know, a big part of that is because they're backed by the biggest bank as well. It's very much, it's very much, you know, we went back and had a look at what their website looked like in '97 when they launched, and we looked at it in 2001 during the the dot com uh, boom and and subsequent crash, and we looked at it, you know, as it looks today. And there's definite upgrades, but it, it hasn't changed a lot. It's the same thing. So we've gone from chalkboards to you know a, a digital spreadsheet on a website, and there hasn't been a huge amount of you know um, uh, progress from there. So you know that's that's what we're really trying to change. We're really trying to you know move move the the investment experience into the world of you know in terms of user experience the you know the worlds of uber and and netflix and how easy it is to use those those sorts of products how do we make investing accessible but also understandable for, for you know a broader range of people and so that was the idea and uh how long have you been working on it putting it together well overnight success um <laughs> two and a half years to to get it to get it off the ground um yeah actually started sort of the 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 formal part of the concepting back in late 2017 and and we founded the business in in early 2018 so what what did you spend uh, that two and a half years doing can you walk us through the uh early life of australia's hottest fintech startup yeah well there's there's a huge amount of regulation in this space there's a huge amount of technology development that's gone on and and I have listened to your previous podcast where you you were discussing the business um you know we 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 aren't just you know buying shares and sticking them in our company account and and you know we could run away to you know the caribbean um you know we certainly can't do that and and particularly through the g s c a lot of additional regulation was brought in 
so there's there's regulations that we that we have to abide by to to be able to run run a business like I noticed I noticed you didn't comment I think I said at the time you disappear and snort cocaine off of hookers breasts when you went to the Caribbean you you neglected to say you're not going to do that bit. Well, I wasn't sure if you're talking about me or the afterpay, the former afterpay CFO. Oh, I think that's I who that was. Answer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was me, so I didn't want to comment. Okay. Um, sorry, please continue. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so we, we spent two and a half years literally uh, engaging with the regulators, building building the, the technology. Uh, we've we've been audited by by PwC and and not just you know going through our financials. It's it's doing uh, comprehensive con- controls audits around all of our systems and our, our procedures and processes. Um, but you know setting setting up the structures that we have. You know these these are, there's comparables in the market. So we're not bringing this new shiny toy to the market that no one has ever seen before and no one's ever done. And we're bringing all this risk. It's certainly not that. Um, the the closest comparison to to what we do we are doing is probably the likes. You know, we we, we compare ourselves to the likes of Hub and NetWealth. We've taken a wrap platform. We've built a wrap platform from scratch. We've removed the advice intermediary and given it direct to consumers. And in building that structure, we've been able to to a build in massive efficiencies. We don't have a room full of 200 people working on dividends and corporate actions. We've automated a lot of it. So we're, we're able to strip out a huge amount of cost and offer our, like basically pass all of those efficiencies and cost savings onto our customers. What's a wrap platform? Can you explain that for us? Good, good question. So, so a wrap platform is it, it, it's sort of explained in its name. It, it basically wraps all of your investments up onto one platform in, in one in one reporting um, platform. So, so there's typically a custody or a nominee service as part of it, and and that is exactly what we've got. So we are a licensed, a regulated custody provider. Um, through a separate standalone special purpose vehicle. And, and that is where our customers' shares are held. So if Superhero was to go out of business, just to sort of recap on a couple of other comments and, and maybe some of your listeners had questioned, if Superhero was to go out of business, your assets are never, are never put in jeopardy. There, there's no legal claim um, available to, a, to an administrator or anyone to, to try and get those assets. They belong to you, the, the investor. Um, so that, that structure holds all the assets. And then over the top of it, there's a full comprehensive tax reporting system. So when you buy, when you buy shares, whether that you've held them for more than 12 months or less than 12 months, the system reports on that. So it, it runs full real, realized and unrealized capital gains, whether you've bought and, and hold them over 12 months, whether you've sold them within or over 12 months, it works out all of your, your, your tax gains for you. It runs, it runs full dividend reporting. It, it handles all of your franking credits and reports on all of your franking credits, foreign tax credits, capital returns, share purchase plans. It allows you to, to participate in share purchase plans or rights issues fully electronically through the platform, which is typically reserved for the let's call them the 1%, the wealthier people who have, you know, large self-managed super funds and, and probably pay 1% of their account balance to their advisor every year. Um, we, we have all of, those, all of those comprehensive reports available within the platform. So it holds your shares, it reports on all your shares. So that's the wrap. And typically, whether it's Macquarie Wrap or it's NetWealth or it's Hub or it's Premium, there's these big platforms out there they then go and do deals with stockbrokers and the stockbroker um you know even even my my former firm um you know we would the, the firm would have a relationship with a rap platform and then i would invest in companies on behalf of my clients and the stock would then flow back and be held by that platform so i think netwealth has 35 billion dollars worth of funds on on you know on their sort their their platform um, you know, we're, we're aspiring to get to, to that sort of number one day. Um, but what we've done is we've taken, we've taken that advisor out of the picture and said, well, 
why can't you, if you just want to invest in shares yourself, why can't you have a simplified report that shows you what dividends you got paid, what franking credits you earned, instead of scrambling around at tax time trying to dig out that dividend statement for your accountant and they can see the cash has gone into your account, but you don't know where it's from and you don't know how much you got paid per share and all of that. So the platform does all of that on your behalf. So whereas we might use uh, today something like ShareSite or Stock Doctor to produce those reports for us, if you're a superhero customer, it all gets done for you. Is that right? Correct. So, so it's, it's very similar. So a ShareSite report would produce the same sort of thing that, that your superhero reports would have. Right. But uh, yeah, it'll only produce it obviously for the holdings that you've acquired through Superhero, not if you've if you're using Correct. two or three different brokers. Correct. Or, or and, and look, that that functionality. A couple of our investors have asked about that functionality. Um, you know, we can look at that in the future, but but at the moment, yeah, it's just for for investments you've bought on the platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, do you want to uh, explain to us like how is it different from uh, a self wealth or an e trade, even. I mean, online brokers have been around since the late 90s, I guess. Um, yeah. How does Superhero compare to some of those uh, long standing uh, platforms? Yeah, Apart so from we've, we've, the price. Yeah, so we've been compared to we've been compared to a few you know a few different companies, um, both here and and in the US and. And you know, there's there's the, the what they're saying is the Robin Hood effect around the world at the moment. Um, you know, our, our business and the Australian market is fundamentally different from the US. I mean, there's no there's no sort of simple comparisons between our market and, and the US market to make over here. But it, I guess in in the simplest form, we we do allow people to invest in direct ASX listed shares and ETFs. So from that from that comparison there's there's no difference between us and self wealth and, and and comsec um the the difference really is around our technology and how we have structured the business to allow those cost savings so what what we what we have done is we have a a um custody structure and these custody structures are are, are well known they're highly regulated they require um, regulatory capital, like the banks do, um, to to sit behind them to ensure they 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 are always protected. Um, and, and you know some of the similar some of the similar bigger custody companies. I mentioned a couple being Hub and NetWealth um, that that run similar structures. But you know there's BNP Paribas, there's there's JP Morgan, there's HSBC. These these structures are typically reserved for these multi-billion dollar multinational entities and we've been able to to um work through all of the red tape in allowing our our business to to um attain one of these licenses so with that in mind what what the what the system does is it allows every single person to invest their money in individual trades so so the three of us may place a bhp trade today at three different times throughout the day. And each one of us get our individual price and we buy our individual shares. And at the end of the day, we take those three trades. So let's say we each bought 10, 10 BHP shares. And you bought one at a do- you bought yours at a dollar each, so it's 10 bucks. I bought mine at $2 each, and you bought yours at $3 each, right? So we've now got 30 shares, we've all got different prices. So the the system at the end of the day will take those 30 shares compress the three trades into one contract note and settle one contract note through the ASX All right where if you look at if you look at a self wealth or a comsec they will take three contract notes and settle settle the same stock three times now, if you can do three things in one instead of three things three times, there's clearly efficiencies in that, right? And the ASX charges between a dollar and a dollar fifty for every single settlement onto onto chess. 
Mm-hmm. So all of our stock, just to make it clear, all of our stock does sit on chess. It's just not on individual chess holdings. So there is, there is that chess protection there. Um, and then, and then we, we settle only once instead of three times. So we're, we're saving all of these individual transaction amounts and that's what we're passing on to our customer. So and that's, that's how we bring the cost down. And then you have obviously a record of who those holdings belong to. And I assume enough redundancy that if your head office uh, caught on fire uh, and the server got destroyed, uh, you know, somebody would be able to pick through a backup of that somewhere and work <laughs> out who owned what. We write it all down on the back of the, um, the envelopes we get. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the beauty of the cloud. There's no, there's no physical hardware in our office other than our laptops and our phones. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's the way that the world is moving. But, but yes, the, the, even the reporting and the, and the recording of customer information and transactions and things is part of the regulatory requirements that we go through and the controls that we have to meet. And, and there's absolutely multiple layers of backups and, and redundancy built in, whether it's us, whether it's through the market participant, which is open markets, that you know, there's, there's multiple layers of records of who owns what and where, which transactions are allocated to who. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, you know, if you think about the structure, you know, the similar sort of businesses that are running things like us is probably a share registry right. or chess itself. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, there's, you know, there's, and, and by the way, chess, like, let's talk about that for a second. The ASX is busy trying to replace it. So let's not get too, too, too caught up about, you know, everyone having a hint. It's 25 year old technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tony. Yes. Hello. Hi, John. I'll shut up. Let you jump in. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that was an interesting discussion. I, I think, uh, I think the whole crux of the matter is the custodian structure. Yeah. Um, and that, that allows you to get the, some of the cost savings you're talking about, I guess, but it's a, a unique structure in terms of how people trade and how the shares are held. Um, so I guess that's the nub of it. I did pick up, I think, somewhere on your t- T's and C's. I went to your website today and did a bit of research. Um, I did pick up somewhere that you have to have cash in your account before the trade can go through. Yep. So I'm, that's a bit different to how a stockbroker normally works where you get T plus two days to, um, to settle. So I, I guess you're also, you're also getting a bit of an interest kick from holding on to that, that cash for a couple of days too. Yeah, the interest rates around the world at the moment are sky high as well. There's yeah. a huge amount of profit there. <laughs> I, can, I can guarantee you, I can, I can guarantee you on air that the interest rate is a big fat zero. Right. So there's no interest being paid. And, and, you know, if there was interest being paid, we'd love to pass that on to our customers because, you know, I think there's, I think there's limited sources of interest these days. And, you know, if there was a meaningful amount, I think that would be a, a great value add. Um, it, it's not a revenue line that we re- would rely on okay. uh, to, to take that. But in terms of our structure being unique, you know, I, I, I'd probably challenge that. It's, it's actually not a unique structure. We see it all over the industry. Um, we're just running, we're just, we're just doing it in a much more efficient way. The rules and regulations apply to us as they do for, for you know, all of these other companies that, that run this structure. No, look, I accept that. Um, and, and I've used the structure before. And I guess if our listeners want to know what that structure might look like, most of the big companies, if you go to their top 10 shareholders, you'll see things listed like XYZ, Macquarie Bank, Custodian National Trust Indian Number Indian. One. Yeah as custodian for ABC Corp or something like that. So they, they, they you know, the, the structures are used widely. I, I guess the difference, and I don't mean to sound this in a negative way, the difference is generally you have a big bank standing behind those custodian structures. And I know mm. you said before, if, if the shit hit the fan, that people's monies are safe and all that. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying it's not with superhero as well, but the hurdle that mentally I would have to get over. If, if a custodian went, you know, if something happened to a custodian that I'd invested in, but Macquarie Bank was backing it, then there's, you know, I, I would think there's more resources available there to unpick the code, unpick the individual holdings, um, yep. you know, stand, stand behind I reputation that, you know, I think, as well. 
I think I think you know what we're trying to achieve. We 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 really want to make investing more accessible, mm-hmm. more understandable, and more affordable to our customers and to the market as a whole. And I think I think there's there's a number of I'm going to be nice here. There's a number of challenges the Australian banks are facing in terms of keeping up with today's demands around technology and and the the. I guess the fintech industry as a whole, mm-hmm. and certainly, certainly, what we've seen is, you know, if we go and do a deal with a bank, we become, you know, it, it's basically, oh yeah, that superhero owned by X Y Z bank, and that's what people, I, I think, don't want. You know, why, why does it need to be NAB behind it? Why does it need to be Macquarie behind it? Why does it need to be CBA? Um, you know, I think I think you know we want to be independent, and we are fiercely independent. And you know, we, we've we've backed ourselves, and we've got the capital behind us to ensure that those structures are able to to meet all of the license requirements. And, and you know, in terms of in terms of our backers, you know, there's there's some some quite high profile Australian business people behind behind the business who would not be named in the media and who would not even have a, a, anything to do with us if there was any risk of their reputation mm-hmm. or their capital as well because our investors are invested you know they have capital invested in in a superhero account as well so you know there's 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 obviously you know i mean if if nab came along and and offered us a, a a massive check to take a big swag of the company and and you know it was sort of thumbs up to everyone well then fine but you know i think there's there's you know i think there's more to it than you know just having a bank behind you to have a bank behind you no i understand yeah that that's good um well i've got a list of questions here let me go through them uh you're offering free etf trades why why is that the case and not other shares as well yeah so so there is still a marginal cost on on providing free free brokerage um on on etfs um which which we've agreed to absorb across our business um we've worked closely with open markets our market participant to be able to to offer that to to uh investors but but really we want to even though our our headline brokerage rate is five dollars flat fee per trade we want to encourage people to start investing and we want to encourage people to make long-term investment decisions. And if you can remove the cost friction from making those decisions, then it's better in the long run. So we, we would prefer, we would prefer a hundred thousand people who come on and invest only a few times, than have 10,000 people who are investing, you know, you know, every day. Why is that? Because I because we want people to make long good long term investment decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I so you know whilst whilst you know whilst activity is a driver for our business, I would rather have more people trading less than more than less people trading more. When when you talk about free trade for ETFs, is there a definition of that? Does it include LICs or does it include? some of the um, more exotic ETFs, like one of the ones that we have looked at is called GEAR Gear, which is a, a geared, I think, beta yep. shares uh, ETF. Would that be counted as a free trade? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. What about listed investment companies? Listed investment companies are, are not. Okay. They, they carry the $5, $5 trade. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I saw on the website as well that uh, you are allowing trading on about 24 2000 and something shares are all the shares on the ASX available for trading unless we've missed a couple yeah we've got about 27 i think it's 2750 securities in total including the ETFs okay so yeah we've got them all okay good so there's no sort of site you don't limit the size of a company before you let it to be traded on your platform no. at all no. okay uh i guess a question from uh, from my hip pocket is there an upper limit on the trades uh, that you can do on your platform yeah, it's it was a really interesting one when we were when we were building the platform and setting setting you know, a potential limit like that. Um, you know, at, at 
in my career at, at Shaw and Macquarie, you know, we had limits and it wasn't even our money. Mm. So, and, and, you know, those sorts of things were in place to, to ensure that, you know, people didn't make, you know, fat finger mistakes and, and punch in an extra zero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we certainly didn't want to be seen to be saying it's, it's $5 brokerage, but not living up to our, to our name. So where do you draw the line? Do you draw it at 50K? Do you draw it at 100? Do you draw it at 500? Do you draw it, you know, do you put no limit? Mm-hmm. So we do have a requirement that you cannot buy shares unless you've got the money in your account. And that there's two reasons for that. And, and, and it's mostly a business risk point for us because you could go and buy shares and then not front up with the cash in two days. And, you know, there's limited recourse. We, we don't want to run a credit business. So you have to have the cash, um, but also you, you, you then can't, um, you know, potentially manipulate the market by placing trades that, that you may never settle on. Um, and you don't have that, that fat finger um, problem either. You know, you can only trade the amount you've got. But to answer your question directly, we have got a limit on the, on the trade size. And at the moment, it's set at $500,000. Okay. That's what... All right. <laughs> Tony, Tony wants to know if he can, uh, you know, place 50 mil in terms of investments on it for five bucks. Uh, right. Looking at your group of backers, John, can you uh, buy shares using Afterpay and Zip? Is it BNPL, BNPL <laughs> friendly, <laughs> pay it off over three easy installments? Yeah. Buy your shares now and pay later. Um, it, it, all, it all works well until the share price goes down and then people don't really want to pay back later. Um, but that's 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 so, that's after base problem, not your problem, right? Yeah. Look, look, we don't we don't offer margin. I know I know a bunch of the US guys do. Um, you know, I I had a couple of clients over my career that had margin lending accounts, and and you know it it's great for a certain purpose. Um, but you know, I think I think it does bring a, an inherent amount of risk into your your um, investments and, and your portfolio that, that typically don't need to be there. Um, but psychologically, it's really interesting how, 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 we, how we do work. Because if I said to you, here's 100K, I'll, give, and I'll lend you $900,000, go and invest a million bucks in the market, you'd probably say, are you crazy? But we'd do it into a property any day. Mm. So it's it's the psychology there is is really interesting, but no, we we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be be um, offering margin lending. So certainly not at this stage. And and if we did ever do it, and we haven't even considered it, um, it'd need to be in a very controlled environment. Are you doing? Is the end user doing their own execution on on your platform, or does it go through to somebody who keys in the trade for them and gets the best uh, price? Yeah, no, it's direct market access. So, so I would say, you know, ninety nine point five percent of the time, um, it, it is automatically routed through to the market and generally hits the market within milliseconds. There is a best execution policy, um, and and that does have you know um, a term in there that in in some in some circumstances, in some cases, if a trade does trigger a flag it can be sent through to a human who will, who will review the trade before putting it on. And I've seen, I've seen that happen over my career where, you know, you'll get it. They're called DTRs, designated trading representatives. And they'll give you a call and say, what's, you know, what's this trade? Why, why does the customer want to do that? You know, who are they? What are they doing? You know, and, and really just sort of understand it. And there's regulations and checks behind all of that as well. So most of the time, it's direct into the market, um, but there is there is scope for the market participant to pull trades out ad hoc for a review. Okay, if, if it's direct trade, what kind of trades are you offering? Are you offering you know uh, at market trades, or are there also limit trades, stop loss trades, and other sorts? As well. Yeah, so we've launched with with two trade types. So we've got market tra- market orders, and we've got limit orders. So the market order. The market order looks at what the market is and it will, you know, if you're buying, it will go and buy at the lowest seller price mm-hmm. and, and the opposite for, for a sell. So the seller, as a seller, it will sell at the highest buyer in the market. For a limit order, you can set the price that you want to trade at and, and your order will go in at that, at that price. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
getting back to your comment before about consolidating settlements at day end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what what kind of is there any sort of risk in there for a for a participant if if there's a disruption between the execution of a trade and consolidated settlement at day end? No, so we we don't actually carry carry the the consolidation process on our side. That's done by our our licensed market participant on our behalf. So they handle that with the ASX directly. Yeah, but but. They haven't settled yet, but something's happened. There's a huge power outage, a meteor's hit Sydney Harbour, and I've bought my 10 shares of BHP at two o'clock and you don't settle overnight. What, what happens? Well, I think, I think we've probably all got bigger problems <laughs> if a meteor's hit Sydney Harbour. But um, there's, I mean, it's, it's all automated in terms of, in terms of the, the settlement process. Um, our participant does hold a, a, an additional amount of capital um, on our behalf to, to cover any, any transactions. Um, so, you know, there's, there's again, there's, there's um, multiple layers of redundancies to ensure that, you know, trades do not fail um, and, and that the, the system uh, will continue to operate. Okay business continuity yep. um, processes and things. Okay. Just getting my head around the custodian process again. So there's, there's on the chess registry, there's one HIM, I guess, for superhero. Correct. And then in your systems underneath that, you break it down into account IDs, I guess, of some sort and split it up on your platform. Yeah. So, so we've got an institutional HIN with, with the ISX, yeah. with chess. Okay. And the sub-ledger is run on our system. Okay. So how then, do, just take, walk me through how a dividend works its way through your institutional HIN into my account, uh, both from a yeah. cash point of view and I guess a tax point of view as well. Yeah, sure. So, so unfortunately, you still have to pay your taxes. There's no getting around that. You can't pay for five bucks for us. Can't, can't pay for five bucks. Um, it's interesting. Someone got a paid a one cent dividend the other day. Uh, <laughs> fully frank. <laughs> so um, the the company will pay, and and you know these are as a, as I said, it's not it's not unique to superhero. These are these are tried and tested processes. You know we we are an institution with the likes of Computer Share and Link, and you know these are the processes and things that these major organisations have in place. We have the same processes in place. So when a, a dividend is paid, we, we aren't paid the dividend. So the custodian is, you know, the, the, the funds are paid into our custody account, but we are not liable for the tax on that right. dividend, right? So we don't have any beneficial right to that, to that mm -hmm. or, or, or legal right to own, to take, we don't have proprietary right to those, to those assets or those funds. So what happens is, and this is, we're quite proud of this, that um, the system is, is fully automated in this respect where you will be, you will be alerted of, of the dividend when the company goes X dividend. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I, it sounds like you guys haven't signed up to Superhero, so I'll, I'll keep watching to see when you guys have. Uh, I have. You have? I have. Oh, yeah, I've done yes. a trade. Uh, oh, brilliant. Testing it out, yeah. We haven't taken your money off to the Caribbean yet. It's still safe. Um, <laughs> um, so if you, if you go onto um, your dash, the dashboard when you log in, under pending transactions, your, your dividend, which has gone X, um, it will show you know, CBA has, has gone X dividend. And you know, there's the you know, 1,500 bucks worth of dividends that, that are expected to come in with the payment date. On your payment date, it will hit your account. The cash will actually hit your account, and and you will have in your activity. If you then go to activity, it will say you were paid an interim dividend from CBA. Right. Here's the amount per share. Here's the franking credits. You can download a sh uh, a dividend statement, or you can download your income report, which is the comprehensive tax report off the platform. Okay, so when I get a dividend statement from the CBA under that under a traditional model, I, I get a piece of paper from CBA or from their register from ComputerShare with CBA on top and all those details. Mm -hmm. Do I still get that on your platform or do I rely on your reporting on the platform? Yeah, so it won't come from ComputerShare. 
Mm -hmm. Computer share will send us a dividend statement for all of our holders, uh, for all of our clients that hold computer share. And you will get a, a, a superhero um, dividend statement, okay. um, which has your CBA dividend on it. Okay. So in terms of tax, in terms of, of income, in terms of franking credits, there is no difference. All right. Uh, what about when it comes time to vote my shares at the, at the Commonwealth Bank AGM? How does that work? Yeah, sure. Same, same process. So, so you can participate in, in votes. You can participate in, in uh, rights issues, entitlements, share purchase plans. All of these things are written into the Corporations Act um, under these sorts of structures. Um, so you can participate as, as any other shareholder would naturally would. And they normally ask me for my SRN or HIN. So how do I go about doing that? Do I use yours? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so on the platform, you can participate on the platform. Oh, okay. So once you're logged in, you don't need to put in, in any of those details. And those are some of the, the, like the user experience pieces that we're, that we're trying to achieve is that you don't need to go and get that form and find out what your SRN number is and then work out what, you know, and your, and your, your address is wrong and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I've been through it. I'm sure you guys have been through it as well. We're trying to simplify the whole thing. So all you need to do is say, I want to vote for, or I don't think the directors should get paid that much money. I want to vote against them and push your votes through and away you go. Okay. And you can send proxies to people as well? Yes, you can. Okay. All right. The, um, there was a bit of press in the last uh, six months or so about Robin Hood in the States and how they sell their data to market participants who can then uh, use it to, uh, to adjust their strategies. Is that something that, well, do you guys uh, sell any data at all to anyone in Australia? No, we don't. And, and we won't. Um, the, the US market is, is very different to the Australian market. They sell their, their, so in the US, there's market makers. Mm -hmm. And market makers are typically high frequency trading firms and they will sit in the market and they'll create a market. So there'll be a bunch of buyers and there'll be a bunch of sellers. And, and what Robin Hood does is when they sell to one of those market makers, the market makers pay them. So and there's, a, there's a spread or there's a fee or something that gets paid back to them. You can't do that in Australia under Australian law. So there's market integrity rules in Australia and those market integrity rules state that it is, it's against the law to create a false or misleading market. Mm -hmm. Now, if you created a market in a stock, it's creating a false market. It's not a natural market. So market making in Australia is, is against, it's against the market integrity rules. ASIC has outlawed it. You cannot do it. So, so we don't, we don't sell order flow. You can't sell order flow. There's no way to do it. Um, all of our orders go through a market participant and, and, and directly into the, into the market. We will never know under, under the ASX rules and, and, and the ASIC rules, you never know who the counterparty is to a share trade in Australia, unless you've done an off market transfer to, to your family trust or something, you don't know who the counterparty is. It just goes into the pot and whoever's on the other side of the, the order is on the other side. So whilst we are compared to, to the likes of Robin Hood, you know, I mean, they've seen absolutely spectacular growth in, in their customer numbers and their trading numbers and their volumes and things. Um, and, and, you know, we, we would love to see that sort of growth in our business. It'd be fantastic. Um, but, you know, we certainly have a, a very differentiated revenue model. Cam, that's the end of my questions. Thanks. Have you got any more? Yeah, just one or two quick ones, John. Um, so in t I can't remember when I signed up how much demographic data I had to give you, but do you collect demographic data and are you able to produce reports on who's buying what? And the reason I ask is we read a lot of analysis saying that, uh, you know, a lot of the people pushing up after, price, uh, after pay share price after the COVID cough uh, are new punters who are just getting into the market. I assume a lot of your early uptake might be from those sorts of people. Are you producing reports on, uh, generally speaking, who's doing what? Who Are they 20-year-olds? Are they 50-year-olds? Or is that something you're not uh, paying attention to? Yeah. 
No, we, we have had a we have had a look into into the the details and in terms of the data that we capture on the way in, we, we capture your name, your date of birth, your address, your mobile number, email address, and your gender. The only piece through that 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 um, you know you could probably argue you know we 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 could use your mobile number or your email address. Um, Robin Hood was just recently hacked, by the way. They were only using email address to verify. We use mobile as well. Um, someone had hacked their email and then reset their password through their email and then got in and transferred all the cash out of Robinhood. True. You can't do that with us. Um, there's, there's too many too many safeguards and, and you know, we've got two-factor authentication on all of it. Um, but in terms of the data, yeah, we, we know how old people are. Um, and, and we need that for our AML ID checks. Um, and, and we've, we have, we have done some segmentation around, around who's trading what, and it's, it's actually been quite fascinating. So the biggest cohort is not 18 to 22 year olds. It's 35 to 45 year olds. So it's like the late millennials to the early Gen Xs. And, and you know, those that that's the cohort who's been in, in the workforce for you know, 15, 20 years, um, they understand the importance of wealth creation. They may own a home or, or be looking to buy a home or have started, have a young family um, and trying to build their wealth. But it's very interesting that, you know, from, from the youngest, the, the 18 year olds on the platform through to the oldest, who I think is about 81, Zip is one mm -hmm. of the top holdings across every demographic. Now, I'm not sure if that's because of the fact that people can touch and feel their product every day. You know, you can, you can, you can experience their, their business by going across the road to, to the shops. You can be going to, to Westfield and, you, and, it's, and it's everywhere. So, you know, is, is consumer tech being uplifted because people can use those those products every day, so they want to sort of own a share in it. Um, it's also volatile. It's also a volatile stock, so you know potentially people are, are trading it more frequently. But interesting as well, one of the other companies that popped up last week was was Doe. It was a, a new a new entrant onto the market. Um, they they uh, are basically selling banking as a service, so it's a it's a white labelled bank um quasi neobank um and it was the it was the boomers who were the biggest who were the biggest mm. investors in that uh, which was quite interesting so you know we are starting to see we're starting to see fortescue commonwealth bank telstra come into the millennial demographic as the biggest holdings um and and, and yeah the the zips the afterpays and the and the tier two buy now pay later guys they're, they're all they're all up there, um, but they're co-mingled with the the you know the top twenty stocks on the market. Hmm. And what about stuff like the average trade that goes across your platform? Can you tell us anything about those sorts of numbers? Is it small? Is it big? Yeah. So I mean, our our minimum our minimum trade size is a hundred dollars. Um, so we we are seeing people come on and and putting a hundred dollars into the market and and you know, a lot of people are then following on with larger trade sizes. So, you know, they may be testing it out, getting a feel for the platform. Um, the average ASX trade size is around 15K. Hmm. And we're seeing, we're seeing averages, you know, probably around half that. Yeah, interesting. I guess that's the question I had um, generally. If, if you have lower barriers to trade because the commissions are cheaper, because the technology is better, et cetera, uh, do you see people increase the frequency of their trading? Mm. Yeah, interesting one. And uh, I've been speaking to a few people about this. You know, it's like everyone's a champion of low fees until they go to zero, and then it's somehow irresponsible. Mm. Um, so again, it's a it's a psychology piece rather than you know. I think you, you can't you can't say that low fees are good and then say low fees are bad. You can't do that. It's either good or bad, um, and I think people, a number of market commentators, are suggesting that fee-free or very low-fee brokerage is increasing um, 
the propensity to, to trade. I think particularly my demographic, millennials, I think they are more concerned about the thousand or two thousand or five thousand dollars they're investing. Then they're what they're worried more about how much they're going to make rather than should I should I make less because I'm paying Comsec 20 bucks when I can actually pay Superhero 5? They're thinking about how much they can gain. Mm. So if they can reduce their costs, if they're gonna if you're gonna trade, you're gonna trade. Like that's the end of the story. Mm. So how can you do it at the lowest cost? In the lowest cost way, yeah. But I think people, I think people um, are more concerned around the, the 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 return on investment from their in, from their investment rather than the um, the fees being too high or too low. Yeah, I mean I, um, that's great. I guess my question didn't have a moral dimension to it from my point of view. I don't care how often people trade; it's up to them. Mm-hmm. We've got a nanny state, you know, in Australia is is pretty big as it, as it is. Uh, are you seeing frequencies that are more frequent than average compared to the ASX? No, we're, we're not. Um, we're, you know, we, we, before we launched, we obviously built a business model and you know, a forecast. And, and you know, it's great to have smashed the forecast on, on, in, uh, on a, you know, a customer basis. Um, but we, we actually modelled, um, and, and I speak to Self-Wealth, um, you know, I've spoken to them quite regularly since we launched, but we modelled our business on Self-Wealth um, because they're the only sort of listed Australian peer who released their data. And their average, so their, their active traders, who is someone who's traded or has a funded account, I'm not sure about the time period, but they had across their active traders, it was nine trades per active trader per month. Right. We forecast three. You forecast three, and, and what are you doing? We forecast three trades per, per customer per month. Mm-hmm. And are you doing that, or is it is it more we're, or less? We're below that. You're below that. We're, okay. we're slightly below that, and and that's and that's not that's not a bad thing for me. I, I'm not mm. disappointed in that. I I I genuinely don't want to see rampant speculation across the platform, mm-hmm. and I do think that over trading in the long run. Mm doesn't help your 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 overall investment strategy. Absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah. Tony and I were just talking yesterday about I don't think in our porf- in our portfolio we do with the show I don't think we I think we we sold gear but it's the only cuz it breached its sell line for us but it's the only trade we've done since May I think. Mm. You know, we've just been sitting on stuff. So we're big believers in buy and hold. You probably would have done well if you've held since May. Yeah, been all right. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, <laughs> so, got, any, got any got any zip and afterpay? No, <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. No, our our, our, uh, our show is called Quality at Value, and uh, they they may be quality. In May they were valued. They, in yeah, May they were you're right. Value. That's right. They still didn't meet our criteria, unfortunately. But one last sorry, one last question, Cam, before you sounds like you're wrapping it up. Uh, we've been talking about five dollar trades, but there is another fee structure I think we should mention. Uh, yes. Yes. Which is the um, it's an annual subscription. I think is it charged monthly or is it just calculated monthly? It's a, it's a nine dollar a month subscription. Right. Um, at the moment, there's there's no charge through to January next year, mm-hmm. so you can sign up and get all of the features for free. Um, it, it it's been a little bit controversial actually, uh, and I know you guys spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, or yeah, was it a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, um, I think you were talking was, about the, yeah. the, the nine the nine dollar fee. The nine dollar fee is optional, so you can you can have a free account. So theoretically, you could sign up, you could come on for free, you could fund your account, you could buy some ETFs, which are free brokerage, and it will cost you nothing. Mm. All all you're paying is the cost of the of the ETFs, um, and you can do that for shares as well. There's there's significant costs from from the ASX in terms of displaying data. So we've got we've got data licenses from the ASX that costs us a fortune. Yep. And, and we also have the consolidated tax reporting, which you, know, you can go and get for 1% of your portfolio amount with a minimum of a, probably a couple of grand if you went to, to um, some of these other platforms. So we're, we're giving away that full, that full reporting. We're giving away additional functionality and live pricing across the entire platform, not just when you click in to make a trade, your watch lists, your holdings, everything on the platform is live ASX data. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that obviously carries significant cost and, and we've tried to reduce that as much as possible 
and we've been able to reduce it down to $9 a month. Right. Okay. And the difference between the free profile and the $9 a month profile, is that just greater flexibility functionality or does it affect execution of trades or what's the difference? No, it doesn't affect the execution at all. So the execution is, is direct straight through to the market. Mm -hmm. the, the difference is we have limited the data to 20 minute delay data, right? which still carries a cost to us, but mm -hmm. it is greatly reduced. Yep. It's 20 minute delayed data. Um, you, you, the reporting that, that we offer is everything you need to do your tax return. Mm -hmm. So it's not the full comprehensive portfolio performance and, and, you know, detailed realized and unrealized capital gains reports that you get for, for $9 a month. Um, it's portfolio statements, transaction statements that you can give to your accountant and do your tax. What it also has is you can, you can place dollar values of trades. So it's a market order. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can say, I want to invest a thousand or 5,000 or $10,000 into say an ETF or into a stock. Um, so it's got limited functionality around the trade types, but your orders go straight through to the market. It's 99.5%. It's, it's going straight into the market in, in real time. Um, so there are some limited features and, and, and the 20 minute delayed data is the, is the key. We don't have that major cost associated to us and that's why that account is free okay and the bank account that you that we would use if we signed up is that one that you provide or can we take our current bank account and link it no so so you'd be settling through your superhero account right. so all of the cash is held by nab mm -hmm. uh, so as, as the licensed you know the authorized deposit um institution um so all, all the cash is held by nab it said all of your trades settle out of the nab account um, but no, you can't bring your own your own bank account, which is pretty standard across a number of online it is. Um, online broking one companies. Of, one of the reasons why the banks set up eTrade and Comsec and those kinds of things. Mm. Yeah, and it's great for their business. They they use it as a funding source mm. for home loan things. Mm. Hey, uh, just just uh, one last question about that custodial structure you've got. I just entered into Google as we were talking. What happens when a custodian fails? And it came back and said in the US anyway, the government eventually stands behind the assets mm. in, on, held on, on trust. That's in the US. Is there a similar uh, bailout guarantee provided in Australia that, you, that you're aware of? There, there is. There, there's limits though. Right. Um, there's, there's limits on all of those. Um, and it's the same with a bank account uh, in Australia. You right. know, there's a limit if, you, if you've got... Two fifty thousand. Ten million dollars yeah. in your bank account. The bank went out of business. You're good for two fifty k, but you've lost your nine point seven five million bucks, right? right? Yeah. So, we 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 do have a, a cap um, through the National Guarantee Fund. Um, but what we've done is we we've gone sort of above that and and secured our own insurance. Um, so we have our own insurances to to protect our customers, um, which is well okay. into the millions. And that's on a per claim basis. So it's on a per customer claim that they, they would be able to call on that. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it is extremely rare. I, I, haven't, I haven't personally seen any, mm. you know, certainly across my, my career, yep. um, but I haven't seen in, in my experience or, or throughout history of a, of a custodian collapsing. You know, certainly businesses have collapsed that have held stock in their on their own balance sheet, mm -hmm. that is not what is happening here. Mm. Um, you know, it's it is a registered um, custody uh, business, and it's got regulatory capital to back it up as well. So it's got to keep a level of net tangible assets in place mm -hmm. at all times. Yep. Um, so you know, for for a business to fail, um, you know, under the under the the red tape that Australia has implemented would be highly unlikely. Okay. Good. Thanks, John. So one last question, and I'll let you go. So five dollar fee. I, I mean, I guess the um, key marketing message that I've seen about Superhero since you launched is the five dollar fee. What do you expect competitive forces to do? Are you expecting the rest of the industry to try and match that? Can they match that? Even if it's a loss leader strategy, what happens if they do match that? What's your competitive proposition? when self-wealth is charging $5, for example. Yeah, yeah. So I, I understand the sort of the, the market forces behind our competitors. And, you know, I, I would I'd, I'd challenge 
self-worth to go to five bucks. Uh, I don't think they have a sustainable business. And, and, you know, there's some, there's some, some pretty hefty cost structures behind, behind businesses like that. And, and we did, we went through a process to look at, you know, building, building out a, a, a cheaper version. Um, I think it would be a massive compliment if we even, you know, if, if Comsec even sort of knew who we were, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure they do. Maybe they do. If they do great. Um, but I don't think Comsec's going to, going to rip up 75% of their revenue, um, to compete with little old uh, superhero. Um, and I think, and I think that is a massive, uh, opportunity that we have. And it's the opportunity that FinTech has had in Australia is that we are able to bring these efficiencies to these old school problems and challenge major established incumbents and you know, institutions with a, with a reinvented user experience and a recut value proposition. The definition of disruption. Yeah, Cameron and I were talking about examples of that kind of mentality from the other side just recently. And I'm sure that the I'm sure the people at CBA aren't sitting back and going, oh, what's this superhero disruptor there? And we're never going to be bothered by them. What are you talking about? A really interesting, a quick, a quick 30 seconds on that, a really interesting example of that was, was Flexi Group. They were, the, they were the incumbent buy now, pay later company. Correct. And, and they were like, oh, who's, this, who's this zip coming along with, you know, effectively a digitized version of their product. Mm-hmm. The rest is history, right? Yep. Well, history hasn't finished being written yet. <laughs> yet, yeah. yet to see what's going to happen it's in the BNPL space. It's um, pretty strong indicators. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was around in the dot-com days when D-Store and Wishlist were going to end retailing in Australia <laughs> forever too. And uh, they're long dead and buried because the big guys yeah. just came. It took them a while, but they eventually just came along and stomped on them and they disappeared. But hopefully. I mean, you know, innovation is great for consumers. So yeah. it's, always, yeah. it's always sad to me when startups get crushed by the big established guys using buckets of cash and lawyers and acquisitions and all that kind of stuff. So I, I hope you and all these other guys succeed. Yeah. When you see misinformation being spread around, you know, a, you know against you know, businesses that are, that are really just trying to have a crack, you know, it's... It's disappointing, but you know it's the challenge. So you, you you run hard and you know you play hard, and you know, we'll try and build build a big business. Yeah. I was in a uh, meeting with some senior Telstra execs back in the days of the Three Amigos, where one of the Amigos uh, said that their strategy regarding startups was to kill the baby in the crib, um, which uh, I was appalled at. <laughs> Because uh, you well, know, they used to just buy them and stick them in the bottom drawer, right? Ooh, yeah, exactly. Strategy. Yeah, well, or, or just hit them with a bunch of uh, lawsuits that would take them yeah. five years to you know dig themselves out from underneath. If yeah. that doesn't work, buy them and put them in the bottom shelf. Yeah. Anyway, hey, they're, listen, they're lawyers. Or my shareholders. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come at me, bro. All right, John. Well, listen, thanks again for coming on. Terrific yeah. to chat to you. Congratulations on the success. You know, Tony, one of the first things that Tony said when we started this show is the first step every investor needs to think about is uh, cutting your fees as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that you tend to lose a lot of your gains through fund management fees and brokerage fees. So, we are certainly big supporters of the low fee ethic and yep. uh, want to congratulate you guys for taking it to a new level in Australia. I hope it works for you. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck, John. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tony. I'll be watching to see when you sign up, by the way. <laughs> Keep an when, eye out. when you lift the cap up to 50 million. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think the terms and conditions say if you want to place a trade larger than that, you have to call us. So, well, what's, uh, what's your phone number? He's on the yeah. phone to you now. I'll, like, I'll, he's, I'll he's, email he's, you my number. And I've got my number. i got his number. <laughs> All right, John. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Great to chat. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the Bye. end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Uh, if you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have, 
Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, and also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week. We send out as well with some stuff in it. So. Check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to season three, episodes one, three, and five, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, with that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.